0: well hello mastery friends and followers welcome back to mastering you with matt sutton i'm your host for another episode today if you have ever felt like you're getting stuck in a rut maybe you're not living life on your terms and you know that there is a path for you you just don't quite know which turn to take um I think you should listen to this episode. Today I'm speaking to professional speaker, TEDx speaker, well-being expert and consultant, Leanne Spencer. Really enjoyed this episode with Leanne. Uh, Leanne uh, has specialized in well-being for over 10 years. She has 13 qualifications in exercise and nutrition, But she actually began her career in sales over 15 years ago, working in the bustling city of London. Uh, And that was before leaving in 2012 to set up her now award-winning well-being company after suffering from burnout. Leanne is also the best-selling author of three books. She hosts her own podcast and she's a Bear Grylls survival instructor. So plenty of knowledge, expertise, wisdom to give you. And in this episode, we discuss lots of different topics. Um, Obviously, we cover Leanne's own inspirational story and, you know, the impact of alcohol on her life, um, city life, corporate culture her own thinking of how health and fitness has evolved, why it's so important to make the most of now, and why a well-being strategy in your workplace is no longer an afterthought, but it's really a must. So yeah, lots of great tips, strategies in this episode to make notes on. Hope you enjoy it, guys. Here we go with Leanne Spencer. Leanne Spencer, welcome to Mastering You today. How are we doing?
1: I'm very well, Matt. Thank you. It's the, the back end of the week, Easter break coming up. I'm in good form.
0: Excellent. Excellent. So um, uh, we were just having a, a very brief chat before we started. I was giving you a bit of a background about LPT and, and how as a, as a gym or personal training studio, we encourage our members to take a real holistic view of, of, of their life in order to implement The things that we teach them in in regards to nutrition and fitness and that's one of the reasons why we have people like you on um you know firstly a massively inspiring story which hopefully you don't mind us getting into in a second and um and also you've got a lot of wisdom and a lot of strategies to share as well which is going to be really awesome to go into i was just i just noticed it's just gone your sort of 10 years the decade since everything really turned around right Tell me what happened ten years ago.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good place to start. In a lot of respects, I feel like I've had two lives. I'm 47, um and it feels like I had the life prior to April 2012, or actually, yeah, first of April 2012, and afterwards. So, I'll take you back maybe a little bit further than that. And and this isn't going to be bag of awards and GCSEs, and it's, it's not going <laughs> to be 30, 40 minutes, and we've only got up to 12. Um, But prior to april 2012 i was working in the city i uh, listeners can't see but i'm pointing over there because about four miles away is the city of london um and i was working as an account director and you could see me matt i've got short hair light blue sweatshirt and what you can't see is joggers and white trainers but i look very different then it was a bit heavier though that's not really the main point of the story couple stone heavier I had long hair, I was wearing skirt suits with tights and heels and basically the kind of city pomp that I thought I needed to be wearing. Um, And I was really unhappy with what I was doing and the way I was living. Uh, There was an interest in health and fitness and always had been, but actually what I was doing was working in a city environment that didn't match my values, I really had no interest in at all, uh, surrounded by people who, and all of this is on me, by the way, but surrounded by people who might say, I literally verbatim i don't get out of the bed get out of bed unless the deal is worth more than 50 grand lots of glorification of alcohol consumption again somebody said to me once so oh, I, I woke up in the morning and the mercedes was on the drive you know beat me how did that happen so it, this isn't cool stuff um, but i was choosing to stay in that environment and spending a lot of time looking at the clock in the bottom right hand corner of my pc wishing days away weeks away months away and it came to a head um with a meeting that I went to that, you know, I was in a company, I've been there a year, and there were sort of some question marks around, you know, is this working out for you? And my boss said, there's something wrong. Can you feel it? Do you sense that? Now, I did, but I wasn't honest about it. I just said, no, no, everything's fine. But actually, what I was doing is drinking about a bottle and a half of wine a day, sometimes more every day. There was no let up. This wasn't binge drinking. This how, was how long was this commitment. going on for? I have... I mean, all sorts of retrofitting when we need you. Know, I spent a lot of time in AA and people open up their shares with, uh, you know, I knew I was an alcoholic when I was four because I never stopped eating Smarties and that kind of thing. <sighs> I, I can look back and I was always a heavy drinker. Um, okay. we can go, you know, th- there's lots of reasons why that might have happened. But from 14 onwards, I was, I was actively sort of getting drunk on the weekends and stuff. Um, And then always the one who'd have the bonus glass, as I called it, you know, the one that tips you into drunkenness that no one needs or wanting to drink later or at university, bring drinks home. Um, So that carried on. And once I'd hit the city, of course it builds as alcohol intake does typically. But once i would got to the city, so five or so years before I resigned, so 2008, something like that onwards, I wasn't commuting in a car anymore. I was in an environment where you'd be amazed how quickly the pubs fill up in the city, or maybe not. But from about half 11 onwards, you've got bums on seats. Um, and it just kind of snowballed from there. But I think one of the things half that 11 drove in the morning, that, not me necessarily, but that's how early the pubs will open wow. up and start to get busy wow. in the city. Yeah, I'm a
0: bit naive to this, the, the city life. <laughs> Always been a bit of a country bumpkin myself. So.
1: Right. I yeah. think I am at heart, and I've molded myself into I'm still in London, I'm still in the city, but or not the city, but yeah London um, so it, it built up from there and then it became fueled with dissatisfaction, lack of fulfillment, unhappiness with the way I was living and the fact that I wasn't um doing something i really wanted to do you know it kind of it kind of eats away at you if you're just not i don't want to say living your purpose because it sounds so like oh you know but but doing something that kind of is though right yeah yeah meets your values people that that you want to be around you kind of reflect those values so um so it it really built up from there that's that's where that's sort of the preamble so it, it had gone from half a bottle to a bottle to a bottle and a half a day um Yeah, And then you start to become dependent and you're kind of stuffed because if you don't drink, you feel anxious and shaky. So you have a drink and that takes the edge off the anxiety and the shakiness. And then you are stuffed Mm. because it's hard to get out of that. Um, And I I was going off to the sales meeting, as I say, and I was expecting a big order, which would get everyone off my back for a bit. And I'd be the hero of the sales team. But I went into that meeting and the client was buying data for me to build a system for his client and his client had pulled out. So within 10 minutes of being in that meeting, I realized there was no big sales order, no hero on Monday. And that was the weekend that, that I used, as a, I used that as a catalyst to make the big decision over the weekend to resign from my job, which was accepted very quickly the following morning. Um, and within a week, that was it. The BlackBerry, the laptop, the pass, the phone, everything handed back. And that was the 1st of April, 2012. Um, and, stopped drinking alcohol with some assistance and started to look at what I could do that, you know, really excited me. So that's why I I think of it as two lives, really. Mm. There was the whole, and and I don't want to say that the first, so that would bring me up to what, 37, there wasn't fun in there and there wasn't some good work done and some success by my own marker. But um, I feel now in the last 10 years, I'm doing what I want, largely when I want, you know, values are really nailed down now completely different life, completely different lifestyle.
0: Hmm. Lots, lots of thoughts on that. Like, I mean, I'm curious when you say that you just stopped, it sounds like the way that you said that there, that you just sort of stopped, you changed everything. Can you just, how how did you do that? I mean, did it, were you so uh, like kind of unhappy to the point where, and, and I do feel sometimes people need this. They need to get to the point where they're so frustrated or so unhappy that Sometimes change needs to happen. Like change isn't going to happen until they get to that point. But then yeah. sometimes it seems that some people that point can do the opposite, and it can it can lead them down to a you know uh, a road that's let's say not not so towards their purpose. Like how did you yeah. make that change so quickly?
1: It wasn't quick, I would say. I'd I'd say it was quick, but, you know, the the old cliche of it happened in a day and it was years in the making. Um, I think fundamentally, if you want to make a change, and there's no distilling this down to a pithy sentence, but fundamentally, you need to want something else more than the current situation. And I can give you loads of examples of where that's worked for me. The most recent one is... Um, I, I love dairy-based products, but dairy—going into too much detail—makes my throat phlegmy. I'm a professional speaker, um, record my own podcast, I'm on other people's shows. You can't be clearing your throat and coughing all the time. So I gave up dairy for a month. Uh, the phlegm and the cough disappeared. I can now—I know I, know I don't have that issue. That was enough for me to say, "Okay, I'll get rid of dairy. I'll cut it out of my diet." I just wanted to be free of the cough. And the sniffles and all the dairy irritation more than have the dairy mm. um but going back to the april 2012 i wanted to release this sort of huge pressure i felt i had around my shoulders um and i wanted to make it, it, it fundamentally i knew that life is short and precious it's very short it goes really quick and i mean that positively and i felt i was wasting it i was always looking ahead to the evening so i could go home looking ahead to the weekends looking ahead to the next payday. And not making the most of any of those minutes in those days, in those weeks, in those months. And I, I wanted change. <clears throat> I didn't know exactly what that looked like more than I wanted to keep doing what I was doing. Even though alcohol addiction, it had, you know, it's a vice like grip. Um, and I didn't just stop, I went away to a residential rehab for a few weeks and was medically detoxed there. Uh, an experience I actually quite enjoyed in a lot of respects. Uh, so that wasn't an abrupt cessation at all. Um, but the lead up in my mind had, had been going that way for quite a few months beforehand. So you, it's you, just.
0: In the lead up, did you know that the alcohol was a, as a serious thing that you had to combat then?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You were, you were very aware of that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of wine to be drinking every single day.
0: And that's in, it's an interesting like story because obviously you know you're talking about things like you know high stress, talking about things like burnout, purpose, and it kind of feels like after the the last couple of years, the, <laughs> um, we've never had more of all of that stuff, right? So sure. this hopefully is a you know for the listeners this is something to kind of really take note of, and I mean it's been, I mean, I've got to say, you know, as a, as a sort of transformation center, at LPT, you know, we, we talk to people every day, we probably talk to something like 20 to 30 people a day about their current situation, you know, Um, because we obviously talk about weight loss and fitness, but we obviously ask them how things got to this point. And, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years. And it's, it's been a pretty bleak two years of having really some lots of thousands of conversations that have been many of which have been pretty sad, you know, people going through absolute hell and 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 you know reevaluating it has I think that's not such, that's not all been bad though. You know, people reevaluating their situation a bit like mm. much like you did yourself, like, you know, spending more time at home and or with family and be like, oh actually I quite like this, you know, that that corporate gig that I had where I was earning all that money. It was good, but I quite like actually seeing my loved ones and spending time with them. And what what do you think about this last two years? I mean, what what advice do you have for people that are hitting that fork in the road like you did?
1: Well, oh, I think I think the last two years, we know how they've been and for a lot of people it's been catastrophic. Um, for many they've they've made positive changes I think we can use it as a springboard to evaluate whether we're happy where we're at and what kind of changes we'd like to make I think uh, there's a Tony Robbins quote which is something like we underestimate what we can get done in a day and overestimate what we can get done in a decade or something like that but um, I think yeah when it comes to making big changes like that we can distill it down sometimes into smaller shifts let's take alcohol Um, A lot of people listening may rightly or wrongly think, yeah, but I wasn't I wasn't drinking anywhere near that amount. So, you know, I'm all right. I don't need to make changes. If you've got any sort of concern, because alcohol is something that the stats show that alcohol consumption has gone up by a decent amount during lockdown. Um, If you have a, a small concern about that or if you're looking for more clarity of thought or to trim up a little bit, or you want to get a bit more out of your fitness or sleep a bit better, it's a good place to start. Perhaps you just have a few days in the week when you don't. Perhaps you have, let's say you're having half a bottle of wine. Maybe you just have a, a large glass, which is the third of a bottle of wine. I think people underestimate the power of, of small shifts. Yeah. Um, you know, the little things that you could do, just a 15 minutes extra sleep combined with five minutes of meditation and getting up three or four times in the day if you're desk-based just to shake yourself off like a dog. know mm. right? yeah, that can have quite a profound effect if done consistently over time. Um, so I'm quite big on rather than abrupt cessation of, of anything. Of course, you can go that route, but that's quite abrupt. Um, make small shifts to, to get towards a goal, which I'm sure, you know, within your academy is something you talk about quite a bit. Um, the power yeah. of, of small changes done consistently, I think, is, is underestimated.
0: 100%, yeah. I think, you know... It, we, we have this saying called, uh, I, I named it the habit multiplier. And, and I, I often say to people, you're only two to three habits away from really multiplying the, you know, your life in, in a good way. You know, some people it's sleep, some people it's hydration, some people it's just activity. But I think a lot of the time when there's so much stress and, and people are feeling down or they're in, in a bit of a, a rut, they don't realize that they're just one habit away from completely mm. transforming themselves and um...
1: here's another thing I think is really important. And that's having a strong motivating factor. So um, in 10 years ago, I was working. So what I did, having left the city is took a bit of time out to you know, clean up from alcohol and rest and recover. And it became a personal trainer because the two things I was interested in was business and health even though I wasn't living in a healthy way at all. And that's part of the tension. Yeah. And When I was a PT, um, there's a forum in, called the East Dutch Forum, which is where I was living at the time. And people advertise stuff for sale, stuff they're giving away, et cetera. So I did a search on there for personal trainer uh, to find out who was talking about PT. And a lady called Clara put a post up saying, um, my father's profoundly ill with MS. Uh, I really want to do something for him. Uh, So I decided to apply for a place at the London marathon and I've only gone and got one. I'm absolutely terrified. I'm thinking about getting a personal trainer. What do you guys think? And people are hitting her up with suggestions. So I replied and said, hi, Claire, I am a personal trainer. I live down the road from you. Let's, let's have a chat. If you like, see if we get on see if I can help. So we met up, had a coffee. Um, Long story short she hired me. We started with four months to go before the marathon. She by her own business was a couch potato Um, so we did, you know, down the road and she said to me, oh God, oh, I mean, I I do feel good, but that was hard. I don't know how I'll ever do a mile. Well, a few weeks later, we do a mile, same response. Uh, I feel absolutely amazing. I'm buzzing the endorphins, but there's no way I'm going to be able to do 5k. Well, we get to 5k, same thing. We get to 10k, we get to half marathon. We get all the way up to the, what was the Kingston breakfast run, which I think is 22 miles. It's an awful run. It's a hellish long there's no crowds it's usually raining because it's march feb or something yeah, like yeah. that it's a hideous one i think it's called the whole foods breakfast one now um and anyway marathon day comes along and i'm there on the start line with her because halfway through the training i said to her you know it's a shame i'm not running this marathon with you because i'll have done all the training and she stopped running and she looked at me and she went oh my god i'd love it if you were Why don't I write to the MS Society and see if we can get you a place? Can you raise two grand? I said, yeah, I can raise two grand. So she did. She got me a place. So we're both together on the start line. Yeah, we run the marathon together. We start to hit some problems around Blackfriars Tunnel, which I think is about mile 22. Um, And I'm, you know, I've got Claire on the ground and I'm holding her legs up in the air to get some blood to the brain. And there's a complete stranger dropping bits of pork pie into her mouth. And uh, about a mile further on, same thing. She's on her back. I've got her legs in the air. The complete stranger's plugging jelly beans into her mouth. Anyway, we crossed the finish line together. It was absolutely incredible. Wow. The reason I tell that story is the thing that kept her going from the couch to the mile to the 5K, 10K half is she had this really strong motivating factor. She, she always kept in mind that she was doing it for her dad. She never lost sight of that. So when it got harder, we ran through literally sleet, sun, hail, snow, um, all these different weather conditions. You start in November and you run it in April, right? So you Mm. do hit a number of of weather patterns. And the reason she was able to do that is because she just kept very anchored to the fact that she was running it for her dad. So the takeaway message for anyone listening uh, is, is stay anchored to that motivating factor. Whatever it is you're trying to do, make a new life for yourself, or create healthy habits around sleep because you're concerned about cognitive decline Mm. or whatever it is just stay really you know whether you have a picture on the wall or uh, written down on a pebble on your desk or whatever it is stay connected identify that strong motivating factor make sure it is the real motivating factor as well yeah you know weight loss is one where people say i want to lose weight because you know and some people might look at them and go yeah okay i get that you are a little bit or, or they may be more discreet, but actually it's nothing to do with weight. There's yeah. something else that they want to get done. That's too big, too scary to articulate. So make sure it's the right motivating factor and stick with it.
0: Yeah. I 100% I, I always say no one wants to get fit. No one wants to lose weight. Everyone wants the feeling that those two things give them, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but also like you say, I think a lot of the time with goals, like it's just sticking on that topic is like, you just mentioned one there. I've noticed the people that achieve massive things often the goals are sort of outside of themselves, you know, they're, they're for, for someone else or to raise certain money or it's, it's to inspire their kids or it's usually something that is, is outside of, like you say, the normal, I want to lose weight or I want to do this, that those sort of more selfish things. It's that the, the goals that really drive people are when it involves other people. You know, mm. particularly like loved ones or other reasons. Um, so obviously, you you going from that corporate career into this sort of PT world. Your, your thoughts on you know the the benefits of health and wellness must have evolved massively in mm. that time. What what sort of changes in mindset did you have? You know, I'm, I'm thinking about the the corporate worker right now. Listen to this and thinking, oh yeah, yeah, that sounds all right, but. But yeah, I'm not sure, you know, what, what would you say to that person?
1: So when we, when I started out as a PT, I would say my, my ideas were fairly uninvolved, you know, it was, it was about fitness, pure fitness, but what we discovered, um, say we, because it was me and a small team of trainers after a year or two, but well, let's let's talk about me. What I discovered is a client would walk as we were park-based, would walk into the park for their session and they would be exhausted. You can see they've had a hell of a day, but they want that blistering hit session that they think they're buying. What they really needed was to take the rucksack off their backs, literally and metaphorically, and go for a walk and have a chat. But, you know, we felt we needed to deliver PT, and they thought that's what they were buying. Mm. So that's quite often what we did. Now, we didn't hurt people, we didn't damage people, we didn't make them worse, don't get me wrong, but we didn't feel that we were making them as better as we could be. And we realized for, thinking about this is actually health and fitness fitness is about being in my mind fitness fit for the rigors of daily life and the rigors of business life it is important to be able to squat to lift heavy to have good cardiovascular fitness and all that stuff and it's an important part of my life but it is actually just a small part of overall fitness and well-being the physical side of things so it's about sleep I think that's probably the greatest performance enhancing strategy that anyone can adopt is is getting a good night of sleep. And the data says that most of us need seven to eight hours. Uh, It's about being mentally well. So having some sort of breath work or meditation practice or something that keeps you well. And it can be a lot broader than just those two things. Staying energized um, throughout the day, but also in a more uh, esoteric sense, you know, having good people around you doing things that you love being in an environment that energizes you as well as being sort of physically energized Um, digestive health where you really started to drill into i mean it's a minefield but Mm. you know how the delicate ecosystem of bacteria in your gut can affect your mental and your physical well-being and that's really interesting you know what Mm. we're starting to discover about the relationships between obesity depression cancer heart disease and your microbes it's fascinating and body composition as well, you know, it's not just about calories in, calories out. A calorie isn't a calorie, it's, it's how you sleep. Sleep can be, uh, in fact, we worked with a couple of clients years ago uh, who lost significant amounts of weight. And we, the first thing we did when we worked with both of those two people is, is look at their sleep. Yeah. Because, you know, the relationship of sleep with leptin and ghrelin and so on. Yeah. Um, and all of those things make up a kind of holistic fitness program for me and it it could be other things as well but that fundamentally is is kind of it
0: and what do you feel like because this is the, i mean we cover all of that on so on our six week kickstart we, we have trainings on sleep on habits on time management on on, on every factor um, but it's always a tricky one because you know it is like health and well being i don't think there's really anything more complex you know than the human the human body we we still we really don't know like in a in, in hundred years time you know there'll be so much more information and, and we'll be like wow we really didn't know much back then i'm pretty sure of like, like you said like the the microbiome i mean there's just a whole minefield really um mm. but it's it's trying to, you know one of the biggest challenges i have as a, as a coach is really trying to encourage people to adopt that bigger picture holistic view of their health and wellness, not throw away the scale because yeah, it, it's one metric of many we can use to gauge progress, but, you know, we'd certainly, we, we just, we just have so many people that have become defined by the scales and, you know, mm-hmm. they've, they've done all of their, you know, slimming club stuff before and, you know, that just everything is defined, you know, like, like the, the corporate defines success by purely how much is in their bank account you know um, many dieters define success just by what the scale says and like he's just you he just reeled off loads of different aspects of health that can have an ask you know have an impact on that and it's so the big challenge is for me is really trying to get across and it's one of the reasons why i do this podcast is to use this as a a longer form outlet for people to, to try and encourage that message of of mastery self-mastery mastering you as a whole and and always chipping away at those areas that we all, we all have, let's face it. I mean, I follow some of the biggest gurus in the world, but they'll be humble enough to tell, tell us what their, you know, struggles are, what their challenges are. It's part of being human is we all have our flaws and, but it's, it's for me getting that through to people and really sort of accepting, okay, I'm going to have my flaws but let's just chip away at where are the big areas that I can start to get momentum. What what do you, do you understand what I'm saying? What's your sort of...
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned the word scales and I was kind of hoping we'd get onto this because my philosophy around um, body composition management, what others might call weight loss, is that actually if we focus more on fitness and less on weight, if we focus more on what we feel when we become physically fit and the enjoyment we get from working out or exercise or looking after ourselves are not on the aesthetic, we'd be a lot happier and probably a lot leaner as well. And I talk about this in my TEDx talk, which is about six years old now. And it's called Why Fitness is More Important Than Weight. Um, Okay, great. We'll put a link um, on that in
0: the show notes. That sounds great. Yeah.
1: If you put Leanne Spencer TEDx into Google, you'll find the link. It's had about 110,000 views, something like that. Uh, it found its way onto a US school curriculum and Great. it went from wow. sort of 5,000 to boom, 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 and, and up and up it went. So, um, and that's why I talk about this idea of focusing on what we can achieve with our bodies and what we, what we can do with them and not so much on the aesthetic. Now hmm. everyone has, you know, I, I don't, I, I like a certain to look a certain way, but it's not cut. It's certainly not cut now in perimenopausal. It's it, when it's fit and it's a strong body. Um, and, and I focus on what I can do with it, the places it can take me, the stages I can be on, you know, the the fun stuff that I can do. Yesterday I took my godson to a car showroom. Now you don't need to be fit to do that, but you know, mm. that, I focus on the journeys it can take me on, yeah. rather than what it looks like. And I think. If we started to do that, we'd be a lot happier if we focused less on the aesthetic of fitness or what we think that should look like. Yeah. A lot of the body types that people aspire to are athletic and people do not appreciate what it takes to get that sort of physique. Um, It's understanding
0: yourself, isn't it? We have this conversation a lot on this podcast, but having that self-awareness to know what's actually important to you, what your values are, and not being injected by others, whether it be the mainstream magazines or what the TV programs are telling us we should look like. You know, at LPT, we call that a purposeful transformation. So, you know, the transformation, whatever that means, because it's quite a markety, gimmicky word, transformation. But if you get really... Mm clear on what transformation means to you or lpt we basically call it non-regression but a purposeful one is one that like you say actually has a purpose so i'm getting fitter because you know i want to be able to be productive at work or i want to be able to play with my grandchildren or whatever that thing is that again it, when you link that purpose that we talked about earlier to your bigger motivator um yeah. it makes it easier to stick to the habits that you know you need to be sticking to but it takes just takes a little bit of work did you go through that journey yourself like that sort of personal growth like doing the whole core values you know like vision or like or did you have follow any structure did you just this decade this last decade that you've sort of made this change was it just a sort of slow burning effect what were there any Mm. courses or books that changed your life
1: Oh, I mean, I'm an average reader. There's loads of books that have been really pivotal. But one thing I'm not very good at is remembering titles on the fly. <laughs> um, some may come to us. Um, there's a book that I've read quite recently by Glennon Doyle called Untamed, which definitely stands out in my mind. Um, and that's an absolutely brilliant book. It really is written probably more for, for women than men, but that's not to preclude men reading it. Um, and that's a brilliant book just for for sorting through values and for helping people realize that the only person they need to the only person they shouldn't be let down in their own lives is themselves you know be clear on what you want from things um the answer to your question is it was slow uh and i think it should be you can't do these things quickly um i gave up alcohol and that immediately helps you to get clear on who you want to be surrounded by what you want to be doing how you want to be spending your time how you want to show up in the world Uh, and then it's a slow process i say that continually goes on and evolves and I feel like a completely different person, really, to ten years ago. I look mm. even five years ago. You know, Facebook does a great job of reminding you what you were doing five <laughs> years ago. And I think, you know, look the way I'm sort of earnestly looking at the camera because I then just started talking to a phone, um, shooting videos, and the messaging, and and just what we were doing in life as well. It's, I'd say there's been more of an acceleration in the last few years, in terms of progress, by my definition. Yeah. Um, not by anyone else's, but yeah, it's definitely slow. I mean, it, it, when you're making as many changes as I was making, it's not going to happen quickly. And I think quick change is possible, but it's short term and it doesn't last. You have to do these things slowly. Get everything, the mind and body, yeah. used to the new pattern. Um, get everything sort of settled in. Um, like, like I think ten- that's
0: a, that's just to just to sort of harp that point. I think that is anyone listening like that is such an important point because so many people want the, the, the quick result, the fast result. I want to lose a stone in five days. or you know, I want to do that diet where, you know, but ultimately it needs to be a relatively slow process in order for it to stick. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to build these habits um, and I, I know myself, I'm just learning about the, the brain, the neuroscience of the brain, you know, it, it takes reps you know um repeated reps of the consistent habits to make it easy but that is a it is a slow process um but if you want to to stick with things then you need to understand that it needs to be slow if if it is fast that's actually a red flag in my opinion the chances are of you getting a real fast result and then sticking with it are very slim
1: yeah I mean, here's an example for if you're looking to make fitness changes. If you're fairly uh, inert, if you don't do a great deal, fairly sedentary, rather than suddenly doing, um, you know, three sessions. I I heard recently of somebody who'd signed up to uh, a course of three sessions a week, and they they hadn't been doing a lot of fitness. I thought that's a lot—three hours a week of PT being pushed hard is, is quite a bit for someone who's just getting started. Um, I don't know much of the context, so I'm not saying that was the wrong decision, but it felt punchy to me. The approach that I would look to do, perhaps, is is have maybe someone do a single session, but then start to, or even not, maybe have a little bit of a warm-up period of starting to move a bit more. So maybe every hour, you could set a little timer and just stand up, if you aren't already, do five squats, if you're able to, and sit back down. And every hour you do that, and then an eight-hour workday, that's 40 squats you've done in the course of a day. Mm. Um, so something like that I call it movement snacking it's just little pockets a little slivers of movement little that could be just getting your toddler and putting them up overhead and back down again a few times and making it fun or out into the garden breathe some fresh air come back in but small small things done consistently because that's more sustainable as well
0: yeah and in um, that, that way as well you can be like you can can get a little bit creative with it and it, you can make it more part of your sort of lifestyle, the way that you live, as opposed to something that you're consciously having to sort of, oh, oh I've got to do this, or I've got to do that. Yeah. And then that yeah. becomes quite wearing, does it? Um, yeah. This being really cool. One of the last things I want to sort of touch on is, is just, I know, I know you do some work with helping, you know, encourage well being in the workplace. And this is a topic that I'm really, really passionate about. Um, We've been doing some work with companies ourselves over the last few years. And I just feel like it's one of those areas that really needs even way more um, exposure and, and work. I, th- I feel like um, it, and it's, it's also an awkward one for a PT, because I don't know if you had it when you were a PT, but when you would do the initial appraisal for someone and you'd go into you know, their work, and obviously particularly these days with people working from home more, is they tell you how sort of sedentary they are. They're working from home. They're sitting at desk all day, or they're, they're a salesperson, so they're in the car. Um, and you kind of, as a PT, you're a little bit like stumped because you're like, hmm, okay, <laughs> what, what can I do? Quit your job? Like, well, that, mm-hmm. you know, you've got a mortgage, you've got kids, I can't, I can't. So where do you, you know, obviously you give them that. well, stand up at lunchtime and, and do like you just said, like get some squats in and that, but, I feel like it it does need a bit of a top down approach, you know, companies, employers need to be taking a bit more responsibility. And, and not just for their employees sake, but, you know, for the workforce sake, I remember when I did some research myself on the impact of, you know, sickness and, you know, health on, on the, the workforce. And presenteeism turned out to be the biggest um, cost to the you know, UK economy in the workplace, more than absenteeism, um, which, yeah. which blew my mind. Presenteeism, by the way, if anyone isn't aware, is people are at work, but <laughs> just not getting anything done, um, whether that's because they're sick or they, they need the money so they're still going in. Um, and my feeling is that's probably never been worse than right now. What needs to change in the
1: workplace? Well, I think you said it yourself, the top-down approach, but I mean, I've worked with, uh, or I'm working with, and there are some companies around that are really taking wellbeing and and adopting this lead with wellbeing strategy. They understand that it contributes to employee engagement, to growth. It's the right thing to do from a human perspective. It's great for the bottom line as well. Um, I think that... Employees of all levels will start to ask questions about well-being before they join an organization. And at senior level, it'll be less about company car, corner office, salaries, but more about what is the well-being strategy? You know, how do you look after people? What's the culture here? Is it a well-being first culture? So I think more and more companies will start to catch up to that, or they'll start to lose out on talent. And from what I hear, is a scarcity of good people for roles these days. Um, above all of that, I think. It needs to be well modeled at leadership level. You know, you can't say, Oh, we have a yeah. a culture of well-being here, but the MD's on email all the time and appears very stressed and out of shape and so on. Um, so I think it needs to be role well modeled from the top. Um, HR probably, you know, there's some some innovative people in HR who are doing things a little differently. A bit of a around. culture
0: change, potentially. <clears throat> oh,
1: massive culture change, yeah, particularly yeah. for some some sort of more uh old traditional industries. Tech media is where we do a lot of work and those industries seem to get it. You know they're, they're scaling rapidly. They're hiring young talented people and they know that well-being is a key part of it. So role modeling at leadership level for sure, um, that's, going to be, that's going to be super important, having a culture of well-being. so not signs on toilet doors around it being good to talk, but how about one of the senior leadership teams shoots a video talking about their experience of mental health or how they stay well? Mm. or how they supported a colleague or a member of their family through their mental health challenge, that would say far more for this is a culture of openness in terms of mental health than Mm. any poster on any toilet door would. So there's loads of layers to this, but if anyone works within a company and they're listening to this and they, uh, they have the ability to start making some of those changes, whether it's in terms of redefining the culture from a leadership perspective or, or starting the conversation within their team i'd encourage them to do it i mean the benefits can't be overstated
0: but what what's the downside that's the question right because yeah what's the downside yeah um i think it's i think it's huge hopefully it will happen it's probably going to be a while because because up until now it's always felt like with mental health and particularly physical well-being Companies have just sort of been just ticking the boxes, you know, trying to do the things to that, that show good face. But um, now you kind of feel like it's actually going to be way more in their favor to actually implement it and, and do some practical, make some practical changes. So hopefully that happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, lots of stuff to think about there. Um, where can people find more about, about you? Obviously, we're going to put the link of your TEDx talk. I'm, I'm going to check that out myself. In the show yeah, notes. That'll be good.
1: Um, my company is Body Shop Performance Limited, so that's bodyshopperformance.com. Um, my speaker website is my name.co.uk, so uk, and leanne spencer keynote on Facebook and Insta.
0: Wow. Oh, cool. So what what kind of um what kind of company is it companies that you speak for what kind of speaking mm. do you do just just in case any listeners um, are listening like yeah
1: <laughs> yeah uh, so i do a lot of keynote speaking the keynote is called beat burnout and have more fun as an agile business athlete uh and that's the idea that athletes have been doing this for decades you look ahead to the big events coming up in your professional or personal life yeah you prepare by a little bit of extra sleep a little bit of attention to your mental well-being staying energized perform to the best of your ability, and then recover. So Mm. simple four-step methodology, predict, prepare, perform, recover. Um, I use the analogy of Serena Williams. So the predict phase, the the question is, when are your Wimbledon's? When are the big events coming up for you in your personal, professional life? So uh, I've spoken to companies like Britvic, Dazone, Zurich, um, a large cinema chain in the UK. I'm speaking for in two weeks' time. Um, And I don't mean to sound mysterious, but they've... I'm not allowed to speak about you know, their conference yet. Um, and you never know who's listening.
0: <laughs> I know. That's you never gonna, know. That's, never be know. A that's good why one. I asked the question.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, awesome. Last question that I ask every guest is, um, obviously the name of this show is Mastering You. What does self-mastery mean to you in the shortest amount of words you can give?
1: Hmm. Um, self-mastery.
0: <laughs> or Mastery.
1: this is the angle i'll take on it it's knowing what your non-negotiables are for well-being because just about without that you you have nothing um and my three non-negotiables are daily meditation i do 10 minutes in the morning before i get up before anything else happens uh sleep needs to start with a seven so by that i mean if i get seven hours in a minute i'm going to be just fine if i get seven hours and 59 minutes i'm going to be even better um sleep is a little harder to get in the perimenopausal phase which i'm in um so i give myself a big sleep window of nine hours then if i'm up for an hour and a half in the night it's still got a seven on it of course if it's six and a half hours you know i'm not going to cancel everything in the diary (laughs) but i'll just double down for that night and then the last one is vegetables on two out of the three meals a day so i eat three meals a day breakfast is in part at least a vegetable-based smoothie so tick. lunch is usually a salad not that i'm virtuous in everything i do although it's quite hard to be uh naughty when you don't consume dairy so that cut out a lot of my chocolate habits which i couldn't shift until then which comes back to that strong motivating factor i know if i go out now and eat a whole nut i'm gonna be phlegmy tomorrow and i don't want that more than i want that whole nut so that's the, the third one surviving easter then yeah well if someone gets me an easter egg you know i might take one of my enzyme pills which i do have so that i can have things but so they're my three non-negotiables and i'd say i don't personally wouldn't use the term that's how i have self-mastery but i don't want to split hairs and semantics that 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 really enables me i think it's a great one i love that non-negotiables
0: i think that's a perfect way to end as well so Um, yeah hope you've gained loads of words of wisdom from this guys and uh, you made some notes thanks for listening thank you again Leanne Spencer
1: pleasure thanks Matt thanks everyone for listening